Day. Um, I chose verse 1, he who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Wow, okay, that's good not to let myself get there. So last week, um, if you were here when you exited, you were handed a list of sins, and um, you know, not a lot of church will pass out lists of sins, but I guess we thought it was a good idea, and I hope that you kept your heart tender towards the Holy Spirit, whatever the Holy Spirit may or may not have been whispering into your soul about repentance, because repentance is the way out of any ditch that you get yourself into. It's the first step in every move forward with God, and so we provided that sin list just, just to be helpful. You know, why would we do that? Because basically we've, we've taught that sin leads to suffering. When God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself, and... We want to go forward um, with God to do better things for our lives, and, and the way forward is always the way of repentance. So um, today's message is going to end, uh, the, it's going to culminate at the Lord's table. We're going to have communion at the end of the message today, and I believe that in, in the process here that the Holy Spirit will be doing with you as, as he's doing with me, and that's speaking to me about the things that he wants to prioritize for how he wants to shape Terry, and he'll be speaking to you about you at the same time. So let's pray. Lord... Help us as we walk down this trail today um, with the ability, help us, Lord, with, to have the ability to see what you see, and then we will be able to say what you say. God, I pray that our hearts will be tender as we trust you to shape our hearts the way you want to. You mentioned, God, in your word in 2 Timothy that you grant repentance. Lord, grant that to us. Move in our hearts, Lord, in a way that only you can, uh, because it's true repentance that will help us um, in your work in and through us. So forgive our tendency, God, when we look around to see what somebody else needs to repent of instead to be focused on what it is that you want to do within our own hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, so I do want to review um, a little bit from last week because this is a two-part message in a bigger series. Um, so if you were here last week, forgive me, but some weren't. So let's just review a couple things. Repentance is the first step in all change. If you want to move forward with God, it's always going to start with repentance. And, and I think one of the reasons that you might encounter people who would claim to be Christians, but you, in your mind, you, maybe you scratch your mind, if that's possible. You scratch your head and say, you know, wow, okay. Um, um, and now be careful about making those kinds of assessments, because Scripture tells us that you and I have no way to know what's in someone else's heart. So don't get into that kind of a, of a sin of judging other people. But you may encounter people that would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, um, you know, and, and maybe it was that they took some sort of a, what they thought would be an effective um, fast formula shortcut to the cross where somebody said, hey, do you want Jesus? Yeah, of course I do. You want to ha have eternity in heaven? Well, of course I do. Okay, well, just pray. Jesus, I love you. Forgive me. Amen. And they did that. But there was not any repentance. And um, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's like an approach where you uh, take out an insurance policy for your car, and you make certain that the policy gives you really, really good medical coverage. I mean, the best medical coverage in your car insurance, then you drive crazy without a seat belt or on a motorcycle without a helmet, and you auger yourself into some canyon somewhere, and you're dead now, but you had really great medical insurance, and it's not doing you any good after you're dead. You get the point? I mean, um, to say the prayer like an incantation, but without any sort of repentance... Um, you know, uh, Jesus, Jesus said in Matthew 7, I think verse 
18 or 20 or something like that, that you're going to know them by their fruits. And you'll be able to tell uh, whether someone... And so repentance is where we turn away from... I turn away from myself, actually. Turn, turn away from my way, my own failures, my breaking of God's laws, because there is no receiving of forgiveness without repentance. Uh, we, we learn this from 1 John, where uh, 1 John 1.19 says... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think a lot of people that you encounter who would purport to be Christians aren't really saved because they've never really repented. Salvation, calling on the name of Christ, is not an incantation. It's not a magical formula. It's not where you say it, hocus pocus, good, I'm saved, right? Um, Even Jesus said, unless you repent you will all likewise perish. And uh, that word repent in, in Greek, by way of review, it's metaneo. It means after think, after think. In other words, it's talking about a change of mind. And, uh, you know, repentance is, is where we go through this process in our mind of detecting and, and destroying the rationalizations that we come up with that justify the sin in our lives. We, in, order, in order to sin, I have to convince myself that something that's ugly is beautiful. In order to sin, I have to convince myself that something that's destructive will actually be helpful. And I have to um, you know, persuade my mind that something that has dire consequences will somehow by me be escaped in this circumstance. So this, this de- repentance is where we detect and destroy the, the distorted thinking that allows me to make the choice. Well, this will work out. It's going to please me in the long run. It's going to get my life to a better place. I want this. It's good for me. It advances my, you know, personal mission of happiness. But it won't. It didn't. It's not going to happen. Um, so repentance is the first step in all change. Number two, repentance is not easy. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of Christians. I've been there before. Um, maybe you're there now where you're in this cycle of sin, confess, sin, confess. Here I go again, round and round, and never seems forward. The issue is always Repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 addresses this, and there's this short section we spent time on last week. It's the most concentrated teaching in all of the scriptures on repentance. Paul says this in verse 8, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. Okay, that's preacher talk. Okay, that's Sunday afternoon preacher talk. That's like, for me, typically on a Sunday afternoon, I, I, most of the people around here that I know of that preach, and most everybody I know that preaches, they go home on Sunday afternoons, they go, oh, did, did that make a loud sound, that hollow thumping sound? I mean, <laughs> they go home on a Sunday afternoon with a headache from hitting themselves, and they say, um, you know, I, I don't know, I, th- that just, especially on a Sunday where maybe they could be perceived that they were kind of up in people's grill, a little bit on Sunday, with people that they love deeply, as I, as I love you and care about you. Um, but I go home sometimes on Sundays, and I think, man, was that, was that a little bit too much? Because I pressed hard, and maybe I could see sometimes in people's faces. And, I, and, I, and, and Paul was feeling that way, so that's what that whole thing was about, because he had written this letter to the Corinthians, and he had been pretty straightforward with them about some stuff. And so, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a little while. You know, it was, it was a problem then, and it's still a problem in the North American church where nobody wants to grieve anybody, Right? Everybody just wants church to kind of be a little bit of a pep talk. (laughs) 
you know, to keep me happy till whenever the next time is. But church needs to be more than that. You know, I have to be willing to grieve you, and you have to be willing to be grieved by me. And um, to get to a better place, to get to a deeper place, sometimes that means we have to go to a harder place. And um, so um, you don't need a notch in your belt on church attendance or another church attendance merit badge. We, we need to be changed by the power of the gospel. So Paul says, verse 9, as, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, that was no fun, but because you were grieved into repenting. That's the goal, repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. It wasn't, this wasn't a waste of time. There was no foolishness going on. This was worth the effort. Verse 10, for, God, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Salvation, all, yeah, that's, but subsequent these decisions that go forward to be cleansed of my unrighteousness, to be sanctified, changed to be the son, son or daughter of God calls me to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you've proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So Paul lays out in verse 11 there some of the effects of repentance and a problem um, in marriage and in our family life and in the church is, is that when we sin, which we all do, it violates relationships. And, you know, when you're in a relationship and there's a failure and a failing to each other, you, you know, the natural question is, well, I want to go forward with you, but the question is, can I trust you, right? Isn't that the question you always want to ask? You hurt me, okay, you say you're sorry, I want to know if I can trust you again. So the real question we have to know to determine this trust is, are you really repentant? That's the question that, that settles that for us in our souls. It's a really important question, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that one today, because this isn't about somebody else being repentant. This, this series is about you being repentant, um, but you can know if someone else is repentant. You can know if you are repentant, because there are some signs that will always accompany repentance. So here are six things um, that uh, accompany genuine repentance. One, personal grief over sin. There needs to be genuine grief over sin. This word um, grief that we see over and over is the word lupeo, and it's 26 times in the New Testament. Half of the times that it's in the New Testament is in 2 Corinthians, and half of those are in this passage. So this passage has 25% of the whole teaching in the New Testament on, um, uh, that accompany this, this grief that accompanies genuine repentance. It's, it's an internal hurting. It's a soul anguish. This is the same word that um, described what the disciples felt when Jesus explained to them he was going to be crucified in, in Matthew 17. It's the same word, this grief is the same word when the rich young ruler walked away because he couldn't sort things out because he was, didn't know what to do with all that money. Okay, so grief over sin. So number two, repulsion towards sin. A person who is truly repentant feels repulsion towards what used to rouse them. Okay, you have these strong feelings. Verse 11, for see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation. Okay, that's the idea of hatred. It used to rouse me, now it repulses me. It used to engage me, but now it enrages me. I used to have to have it, now I hate it. I despise it because my mind has been cleared, I see it for what it is, it's, it's destroying 
it's destroying my relationship with God. It's, it's trashing my marriage. It's inflaming wrong desires in my children. It's distorting my relationship with the people that I love. Sin is doing exactly what God said it would do. It destroys everything in its path. Okay, um, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment? At every point, you've proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So when there's genuine repentance, there's grief over sin, repulsion towards sin. Number three, restitution towards others. And also, okay, I'm going to keep going here, for eagerness to clear yourselves. Now, this isn't where you um, are trying to um, win back your reputation, but you're eager to set things right. Do you understand what I'm saying? The different distinction there. You know, it's, it's this, this, the New King James Version, um, the word is vindication. The NIV says, a readiness to see justice done. It's this energetic pursuit of, of fixing the fallout from my sin. When a person's really repentant, their, their feet start into motion. You know, they, they move towards the people that their sin has injured. And as long as a person is off hiding by themselves, not making things right, they're not repentant. Restitution, um, um, re- repentance always gives birth to a desire to be right with the people that my sin injured. Always does that. And then number five, notice revival towards God. It says in verse 11, what fear? You know, that's an attitude of worship towards God. What longing? You know, where church, for example, is not a chore anymore. You know, I've just been going to church for so long. I was just going through the motions. But, you know, now I don't look at my watch anymore. <laughs> I'm engaged during the singing. I'm, I look forward to getting there. And that's the zeal. That's the longing because you repented of some things. And then what you experience is God's spirit starts to come back, washing back over your soul, bringing back a hunger and a passion that maybe has been missing for a while. And God's response to your repentance is always revival back towards him. And then, um, you know, lastly, these are the characteristics of repentance. Number six, moving forward, not looking back. Worldly, grief produces this regret, regret, you know, why am I like this? Why do I do this? What am I going to change and get, I'm sick of all this. That's, that's, re, that, that's, that's not repentance. That's worldly sorrow. Oh, oh, my life's gone by. I'd do it so differently if I could. I wish I could go back to college and I wish I could go back and pick my spouse again. I wish I'd pick you again every day. <laughs> I wish I could go back and finish some of the things that I quit on. You know, that's, that's, that's worldly regret and it, it, it's not taking you anywhere. But real repentance sets you free from the chains of regret and moves you to what God has for me now. That's what Paul means when he says, you suffered no loss through us, for, worldly, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So, one, repentance is the first step in all change. Two, repentance is not easy. And then this, repentance is sometimes impossible. This is hard to swallow. Last week, we went through the story of Esau, who, for a bowl of stew, sold his birthright. Hebrews 12, um, the writer of Hebrews, I believe, is Paul. And in verse 17, he's talking about this. He says, for you know that afterward, when Esau desired to inherit the blessing, it's, it's always afterwards, isn't it? It's afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Those are scary words, rejected. 
1 Corinthians 9 translates that same word as disqualified. In Romans 1, it's translated as reprobate. It means this to be spurned or, or abhor, to cast away. He was rejected. And you can come to a place. Sometimes it's impossible. You can come to a place where God just won't strive with you anymore. And, um, and for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And, you know, I suppose you could take the view and say, well, we're now under grace. I'm not sure that there's ever an end um, because that whole Esau story is Old Testament. But I would point out to you that the Holy Spirit saw fit to have, to have Paul included into the New Testament scripture as an example. So if you're one who, who comes to church, whether you're young or you've been coming to church forever, and you kind of endure church, or um, you only come because somebody in your life would make things more difficult for you if you didn't come. <laughs> so you get dragged here and you're just doing your own thinking, you know, I'll get right with God when I'm good and ready. I'll, I'll sort my life out soon. I'll, I'll cry out to him in the last moments, but I, I'm going to do my thing. That's about as dangerous a thinking as it can be. Because Jesus taught that no one comes to, no one comes unless the Spirit draws them. So maybe you think that you can come to God when you're, when you're good and ready, but you'll get to the place where you don't care. You'll get to the place where you couldn't care less, where it's nothing to you. And that could be a sign that you're at the place where God has stopped striving with you. Psalm 103.9 tells us that he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. That's why Paul quotes the psalmist. It's both in the Psalms and then in the book of Hebrews. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. That's such a needed warning because if God can still stir something in you, if you, still, if you still care, if these matters are of interest to you, that's a really good sign. That's really a good sign. But if you're thinking, when is this preacher going to just shut up? <laughs> I have to get out of here. If in your heart you're thinking that this whole discussion is worthless to me, that's, that's not a good sign. It's just not a good sign. Repentance isn't easy. And sometimes it can become impossible, which leads us to, to where we want to be today. Finally, how do I repent? How do I repent? Luke 15, um, and I want to be careful, by the way, when I say, how do I repent? Because I'm not going to give you a formula. There's not a formula. Do these three points and you will have repented. Um, only God can give repentance to you. Do you understand that? Only God can do that. And I'm not saying if you do these things, you'll be repentant. But what you can do is take a good look at someone else who has repented really well and pick up some clues from that. And that's where we're going to go next. So um, Luke chapter 15 is a story, of course, of the prodigal son. You've probably been in a lot. So, so we've got a, a young man. The context is this young man is probably in his late teens, maybe early 20s, but probably in his late teens. And Jesus is telling this story, okay? So uh, most of the scripture is going to be in this pinky color, which is as close as I can get to red um, with what we're doing over here. So Jesus is talking, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. Read between the lines. I don't like you. I don't like this place. I don't like your rules. I'm tired of living here. I just want what's mine. I don't know why it's his, and I got to get out of here, and I do it now, okay? And he, he divided his property between them. Not many days later, 
He was in a hurry. The younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Lots going on in that paragraph. Um, think about the dark places that he went, the, the, the awful things that he saw and experienced. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, it always comes to that, right? You know, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Now, I think it's kind of hard for us to understand how low this was, but for a Jewish man, um, this was about as low as it gets. They were unclean if they even touched a pig, which I have to say, um, I can't help it, but I need to go on a little rabbit trail. <laughs> we need to go on a pig trail, I guess. We'll call this a pig trail. Um, because, like, you, you know, Sunday afternoons, you might have the question in your mind, could a, a kosher Jewish person play football? No. <laughs> right? And I was curious about that, so I looked into it. And the plain and simple truth is that footballs are not made out of pigskin. They haven't been for 150 years. They're made out of um, some sort of a rubber bladder with a cowhide cover in a little town in Ohio where they make 4,000 of a day in a Wilson plant. Yes, the same Wilson plant that made the volleyball who became a friend with Tom Hanks. <laughs> okay, I got that out of my system. I feel so much better. <laughs> Okay, so he's feeding the pigs, and he's, he's low. Verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. You should underline that in your Bible if you've got your Bible. No one gave him anything. To the parents of prodigals, one of the most painful things that a parent has to come to is we're not giving him anything now. We're not going to give, him, give her anything else. Because we would be protecting them from the, the, the consequences. We would, we would be injuring God's ability to get the weight to them of the consequences of their own decision. When a parent has to say, we have to let them go to ruins, those are dark nights in the lives of parents. And I don't believe that this young man would have ever turned around the way he's just about to in this story if dad had said, hey, I know you got your whole inheritance, but one more thing, take my visa card with you just in case, <laughs> right? If dad had said, just give me a call, I can always wire you some more money if you run out. Be and if that had happened because his father couldn't live with the pain of seeing his son suffer, but here's the thing. God wouldn't have sent him the visa card. This is Jesus' story. And this boy is suffering. And he's like about as low as you can get. And I think through those moments, God, who lives yesterday, today, and forever, can see the repentant returned prodigal son at the same time that he sees him feeding the pods to the pigs. He sees the pain and the promise. And there's, this is one of those places where faith is so hard to walk. 
but leaning into scriptures like raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That, 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 that scripture, absolutely rock solid true, makes no promises about the intervening time being easy. So for parents of prodigals, you've been there, or you, you're there now, or you're going to go there, um, the Lord's blessing upon you. Lean into the king. Keep your eyes on the, on the king, not on the circumstances, and trust in God and his word. And here, here Jesus goes in verse 15, and no one gave him anything. 17, but when he came to himself. The, there, there it is. This is repentance because repentance involves, involves, number one, the mind. He came to himself. You know, some of us might be living so far from God. Life is twisted up, making awful choices. If others could see maybe where you've been this week or the things that you've done or things that you've seen, if you'd be ashamed um, because of that possibility, you need to repent. And it's the first thing that happens to this boy. He came to himself. So he's feeding the pigs. Whatever pigs eat can't be good. And suddenly, the lights come on for this boy. What am I doing? I don't want this for my life. I, I, I don't want to go here. I don't, I don't want to be this person. What am I thinking? What am I doing? I never thought I'd be here. I don't want to end up like this. I, I was reading an article yesterday, a, a news item um, caught my attention, and it's about this bus that's out in the wilderness on a place called the Stampede Trail, which is up in Alaska. And um, there was a movie in about 10 years ago about a young man who was raised in an affluent family and just decided he was going to go off on his own and started wandering. He was a wanderlust, and he went around, and he up in the, down in New Mexico, and wherever he went, he, you know, he, he just... On his own, just he, at one point he gave away all the money he had, and then he had a pocket, 150 bucks or 200 dollars in his pocket. He burned the cash, and decided that he was going to get get there on his leather and his thumbs, and he he could get through any circumstances, and he wanted to experience it. And and the story he it, it culminates with him ending up wandering into the wilderness in Alaska while there's still snow on the ground, and four months later he starved. And. Um, the funny thing was that days, maybe two weeks before he starved, he decided, this is, I'm done with this. This is, he came to his senses. And he packed up with what little he had, and he started to hike out. And when he came to this river, which was overflowing, and he knew it would, it would, it would, he would drown, he went back to this bus where he literally starved. And he didn't know that only a half a mile downstream, there was a crossing that he could have got across. And he was within a day or two hike of, 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 of getting out. And he just, this prodigal who came to his senses, and this, here's this guy feeding the pigs. I don't want to live this, and he's not too late for him. And there's just this, this, this point this, where the, this reality moment comes through where the mirage of pleasure devol- dissolves into the reality of, of just ruin. And for this boy, it was feeding the pigs. What's it got to be for Terry? What's it got to be for you to get you to that place to come to your senses? And he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? He's saying, man, I, I, I can't believe I got to this place. 
But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Here it is. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, before he was such big stuff. Hey, give me my stuff. This house isn't good enough for me, you know. I don't even deserve to be part of this family. I'm not even worthy to be your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I'll just sleep in the barn. I'll just be a slave. You know, <laughs> you'll sleep in the barn. A while ago, the house wasn't good enough for you, and, and uh, well, I'm just not that person anymore. <laughs> I've had a change of mind. I've had, had a change. And repentance involves the mind, and it now also involves emotion. I think differently, and I feel differently about who I am. Before, before nobody could could get through to me. Nobody could get my attention. Now I see how wrong I was. This is all the stuff that's going through this guy's mind and his heart. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, and he did it. It's awesome. Repentance involves the mind and the emotions and, and then above all the rest, the will. A person who is truly repentant is forming a plan. <laughs> They're making a plan. And if you're truly repentant, you're probably making a plan right now while I'm talking. Your mind is forming an action plan. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to make this changes. I'm going to handle it this way. I'm, I'm going to go and talk to her. I'm going to go put things straight. I'm going to go humble myself. I'm going to apologize fully and completely. I'm going to take blame for what I've done. And I just want this worked out. That's repentance. Mind, emotions, and will. You know, I feel differently about it in my mind, my emotions, and it shows up in my will. Now, if you're serious about changing, it's not easy. And you might be in a really deep hole, sure. This guy had to get out of the pig pen. You know, he had to clean himself up and offer to be a low slave to his father. He had to do some radical things. If you read the story, you'll see some real tenderness on the father's part. He didn't let the boy even share his whole speech. The father could see the repentance the minute he saw the kid's eyes. Anyway, um, but it's, repentance is not a change of, of scenery. It, it's not a change of marital status. It's not, you know, it's, it's a change in me. It's a change in my mind, my emotions, and my will. So finally, the question I want to ask is, what are the, what are the fruits of repentance? Okay, Luke, Luke 3, produce fruit that is consistent with repentance. What are the fruits of repentance? In other words, when, when repentance it happens on the inside, when the root of repentance is truly healthy, there's going to be fruit that shows. You can know whether a person um, has repented. You can know whether you've repented. Acts 26, 20 says, repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. So there are some deeds that come with repentance. If, if a per person is truly repentant, these are the actions that are going to follow. And this is probably the most important part of the message before we respond at the end with uh, communion. Okay, number one um, for a deed is the absence of rationalization. A truly repentant person is not rationalizing anymore. There's no excuses. There's no explanation. Well, you got to know my mom. You know, she's, you, you don't know what I've been through. Nah, a truly repentance is, is done with excuses. You know, they're done with the things that make it easy to sin. I don't want excuses anymore. I've, I'm knocking these down. I'm going to move forward. I'm, I'm just changing. No more rationalizations. If sin continues in the heart, if, if the explanation hasn't somehow withered, 
as long as explanation has the chance to grow and, and flourish, then repentance can't grow. No more excuses, no more explanation, no equivocation. Okay, and a minute on apologies. There's only one apology that gets a passing grade. Only one. All other apologies are pathetic. Say the word pathetic. 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 Now say it with some disdain. Pathetic. pathetic. Put some stank on it. Pathetic. Okay, okay. Okay, so here is an apology. <laughs> it's great to shout out pathetic in the church, isn't it? Pathetic. Okay. Uh, okay, this is an apology that passes. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I have no excuse. Please forgive me. <laughs> here are some examples of failing apologies. Okay, here, I'll give you three. These are the three that bug me, okay? Um, if I hurt you, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay? Were you in the room three minutes ago when I told you that, I hurt, that you hurt me? If? If? There's no if on the table, okay? I just told you you hurt me. So all of those if, if I hurt you apologies are pathetic. Okay. All right. They're more pathetic than you make it sound. They're pathetic. Okay. Here's another pathetic apology. I'm sorry I hurt you, but that was not my intent. <laughs> I mean, that's a lame apology. It's, it's, it, it, you're actually making it worse when you say that to somebody. I'm sorry I hurt you, but now this is where I'm more focused on myself, my noble intent. I'm sorry I hurt you, but please pay attention to my nobility here. I didn't mean to hurt you. <laughs> Climb up on top of my nobility. That's pathetic. That's a pathetic apology. That's a world away from repentance. It's, if I hurt you, I'm sorry, that was not my intent. Okay, and here's, I think, the worst. I'm sorry that you got hurt, which really means I'm sorry that you're so lame and so weak that my little tiny offense has hurt you, you wimp. <laughs> That's what that apology is. It's pathetic. Thank you. That's pathetic. There's only one apology to truly reflect a repentant heart that God would use and he'll heal relationships with it. I'm sorry. It's my fault. I have no excuse. Please forgive me. That sincere apology will open the floodgates of grace and mercy. Genuine heartfelt sorrow. Okay, number three. Um, oh, see, oh, see, absence of rationalization, genuine sorrow. Okay, so tears, tears are not the measure, by the way. Esau pleaded with tears, and they were genuine tears, but it, was, it wasn't, he was still unrepentant. So genuine heartfelt sorrow. Okay, number three, open confession of sin. People who are not repentant, they'll cover and they'll hide it forever. You know, David hid his uh, sin of adultery and his sin of murder for over a year. But there, he got to this place when he repented. He put on sackcloth and ashes and he repented in front of the nation. Now, I'm not suggesting you need to do that. But if you're hiding it, you're not really repentant um, because the repentant person doesn't hide it. Restitution, last one. Restitution. There are scriptures after scripture after scripture after scripture where God lays out his um, expectations on that. You're not right with God until you're right with the person that you've injured. Let me give you, give you that again. You're not right with God until you're right with the person that your sin has injured. 
bringing people to um, a place where genuine repentance is occurring can kind of be messy. Okay, so you have to allow for some messiness to happen in your relationships. I mean, behind the scenes, I can tell you that, you know, just in, in, in my, my, my role, my walk in life as a pastor, um, and this will be true of all of you who are involved in leadership in, in, in the body of Christ or outside, if you are helping people straighten out messes that they've made, sometimes you can run into some pretty stubborn-hearted people, but... Um, and it can be really challenging to work through these things. But I'm, I'm, I'm just absolutely persuaded that God, in his mercy, that uh, we can be a church full of people who um, are genuine and sincere in, in ways that we deal with this, in the ways that we work this out with people around us, and the ways that we lead and train people, that the Lord gives you influence. Do you know that the Lord is giving you influence? The Lord is giving you influence wherever you're, you circulate. At school, at the bingo hall, Wherever it is that you go and you spend your time and you're with people, the Lord will give you influence. And if you will work well with it, he will give you more and more influence. And um, so I encourage you to be sincere about this and be open by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to ask you now, as we're coming to this point of, of uh, communion, I'm going to ask you to take just a private moment, maybe bow your head, and consider... Um, in your own heart, whether there is some place that the Holy Spirit would be speaking to you about genuine repentance concerning your own sin. You know, my mind, my thinking has been wrong. That's not where I want to go. And, um, and maybe you're now willing and, 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 and going to allow the Holy Spirit to shape your mind and your emotion and your will. Now you're forming a plan um, to put your feet in motion, to do something about it. So would you just kind of bow your, bow your hearts and your mind before the Lord as we prepare for this? And while you're doing that, I just wanted to speak to all. Um, and no, nobody looking up right now. We're, we're going to receive communion right now. And this is intended for people who know Jesus Christ as Savior. This is representative of the, the terrible price that he paid um, for the sin, the sin in our lives. And it's, it's a symbol of the provision God made for our forgiveness, this incredible grace that the Lord gives us. And I want to invite anyone who would be repentant of their lack of relationship with God. You want to get squared away with God. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm asking you to just deal with the Holy Spirit and say, Okay, I don't know what this means, but I'm going to trust you, God, with my, with my mind, my emotions, my will. Lead me, Lord. I need to be saved, and I, I, I want to turn. I need your help. That is a salvation. That is a repentance, a, a repentance for, towards salvation. If that's you, I encourage you to do that right now. Nobody else needs to see it, but you should share that at some point with someone. Believe with your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead and confess with your mouth and you will be saved. This is what scripture says. So tell someone at some point. So I'm going to ask the, uh, you can all look now. I'm going to ask, would you go ahead and pass out the elements? Please hold the elements um, and I'll give instructions in just a minute.
communion is um, one of the very small number of religious acts that we're commanded actually to do. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this so that you keep your mind on who I am, what I did, how much I love you. Go through this religious activity to keep your mind centered on what's important. Here's what's important. You and I are imperfect for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Scripture teaches. You and, I, you and I all need a Savior. And Jesus is the one. And he freely chose because he loves you and me so much. He chose to suffer terrible beating and bruising to have his body broken. And then he chose to give up his very life. Scripture teaches that without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sins. And as terrible and as hard as those moments were, Jesus did it by free choice. You realize the Romans didn't kill him? He commanded his life to go. Did you know that? He hung there, but he commanded his soul to let go of his spirit. It was a choice of love. And the cracker, which is a broken cracker, it's symbolic of his broken body. And the cup, did we pass out the cup too? Oh, you got one for me, darling. Way to go. Thank you, Angie. <laughs> My wife's not Angie, but Angie told Lisa, whatever, something. Okay, thank you. So the broken cracker is symbolic of the broken body. The juice, in this case, is symbolic of the blood of Christ, the price for the remission of our sins. And um, I want to read to you a passage, pray, and then you receive, okay? And then we're going to worship and dismiss. The rest of that prodigal son story, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you and no longer worthy to be called your son. Dad stops him right there. You don't get to give the rest of your speech. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again was lost and he's found and they began to celebrate so Lord we want to thank you for the fact that you don't even let us finish our speech you look down into our souls and you see repentance and you say get my robe on him get my ring on him feed him, care for him put him in the place beside me thank you Lord that you do that with every one of us who will, who will respond to your call so we do that today we thank you Lord for your broken body and for your shed blood we receive that now in the name of Jesus go ahead and receive my hope is built on nothing less